I invite you to open your Bible. Do you have your copy of God's Word? I hope that you do, and you will follow along with me. You'll need your Bible today. And so if you'll find the book of Romans, chapter number 2, and we're going to begin today with verse number 17. So do you have your Bible? Romans chapter number 2 and uh, is where we're at today. Now, uh, Lord willing, we'll get through most of chapter 2 today, all right? And so uh, uh, if not, we'll pick it up. And so uh, next week, we'll begin the Advent season. I am so excited about that. Let me just give a commercial for that. Don't miss any of the Sundays in Advent, uh, the end of November and through uh, December. It's going to be really a special time. We're going to be looking at the first uh, songs of Christmas, and uh, we'll be looking at Luke's gospel of those great songs that are found there. And uh, we have written our own music, and we're going to be, uh, I, I, when I say we, I'm not, I'm not meaning me, <laughs> all right? And so uh, uh, Brother Jay and Brother Andrew have worked together and wordsmithed together the words and the music, and we're going to be doing original music uh, each Sunday, and uh, then um, we'll be singing those during the Christmas season. Uh, not all the music's original, but uh, there'll be one each week, and it will be in alignment with the scripture that we're, what we're going to do. So it's really exciting, and I think you're going to be greatly blessed by it. Amen? Amen. So today, I invite you to open your Bible to Romans chapter 2, and we're going to begin with verse number 17. Romans chapter 2, verse 17. Now, if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God... And know his will and approve the things that are superior, being instructed from the law. And if you're convinced that you're a guide for the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the ignorant, a teacher of the immature, having the embodiment of knowledge and truth in the law, you then, who teach another, don't you teach yourself? You who preach, you must not steal. Do you steal? You who say, you must not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You who detest idols. Do you rob temples? You who boast in the law. Do you dishonor God by breaking the law? For as it's written... The name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision benefits you if you observe the law. But if you're a lawbreaker, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if an uncircumcised man keeps the law's requirements, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? A man who's physically uncircumcised but keeps the law will judge you who are a lawbreaker in spite of having the letter of the law and circumcision. For a person is not a Jew who's one outwardly. And true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person who's a Jew who's one inwardly. And circumcision is of the heart, by the spirit, not the letter. That person's praise is not from people, but from God. Amen. Father in heaven, we come to you today as we read this text, and we are convicted and convinced that it is true. And Lord, we know that you're speaking to our hearts and our lives, and I pray that today we would think about living a life that brings praise to you, a life that pleases you, a life that honors you, a life that's light in a world of darkness and brokenness. Father, help us to understand how deeply we need Jesus Christ Amen. as our Savior. It's in his name that we pray. Father, we again ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit of God. We cannot 
live this life without you. We cannot repent without you. And we cannot save ourselves. And we cannot sanctify ourselves. Holy Spirit of God, work in us. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. I was reared in a Christian home. I was reared in a home not unlike maybe yours. Maybe it was. I learned to try to obey my parents. They instructed me how important it was to learn to obey. And they had different tools to teach me that. (laughs) Yet, while I did the desire to obey them, inwardly I was desiring also to disobey them if obeying them was not in alignment with what I wanted. This problem is in my children and my grandchildren as well. Now this brought seasons of tension internally, and if you'll get my drift, sometimes externally. But on better days, my desire was to please them. Please my parents. Please my teachers. Please authorities. I also had a drive and a desire to be liked. Still do. To belong. Still do. To be accepted by my peers. And the problem is that we live in a world of sin. Sin inside of us and sin in other people as well. Amen? Amen. And everything gets screwed up. And the way we try to control people is we choose to withhold our friendship, withhold our intimacy, withhold our acceptance until they do what pleases us. And this creates tension in your personal relationships, tension in your marriage, tension with your children. Complicating the factor is the sin that's in us all. You see, the issue is I wanted to please my parents sometimes, But my parents were sinners too. So there were times that they told me what to do and I wanted to please them, but they moved the goal line. Or sometimes they were just not pleasable. You couldn't please them. Sometimes they were having a bad day. Sometimes they're just grouchy. Because they're sinners too. Does this relate to anybody? Amen. And this transfers, and here's the problem, this transfers into our relationship with God. Can I give you some good news? He is not like anyone else you've ever related to. There's no imperfection in his love, and there's no inconsistency in his character. Amen. So the question today is, how do I live a life that's pleasing to him, that is praiseworthy to God? Now, Paul's making this very argument here. He's saying that all of us have a critical problem. And here's the critical problem that really trips us up and brings death to all of us. And the problem is our sin. We're all sinners. And God is holy, and God is just, and God is right, and God is pure, and God is, is, he is perfect. And all of us are broken and willfully sinful and sin separates us from God and sin brings death into our life. And so Paul's argument in chapter number one is the Gentile world is moving headlong this way and God, they are without excuse because all of nature and God's written it on their heart that he is there and he is good and he is perfect and, and turn, he's calling us through his kindness But we're without excuse and our hearts have become darkened and he's given us up to where we were headed in our sin and brought judgment in our life. And while the moralists are going, that's right, go get them, those sinners, they deserve it. And God says, and you too, chapter 2, because you have failed and you too are under judgment. And that brings us to the Jews Both Jew and Gentile, moralists, they are under that judgment. But so, in particular, the Jews, which relied on two things. Knowing that they were secure with God. Number one, 
was they had the law. Number two, they had circumcision, which was a sign and a seal of the covenant. And this section deals with this attitude of many, that they've kind of got a golden past that all the Jews are going to make it. One Jewish theologian and father said, no circumcised Jew will ever go to hell. Because God stands outside of the outside of the doors of hell and no circumcised Jew could ever go there. Well. But that's not what Paul's arguing here. And so if you look with me in verse number 17, what he says, now if you call yourself a Jew, let me just talk about a life that is pleasing and praiseworthy to God. There's kind of a wordplay that's taking place. That's the last sentence, verse number 29, that person's praise is not from people but from God. The word praise is the word Jew. It's related to the word Jew. As a matter of fact, in verse number 17, you call yourself a Jew. Where do we get the word Jew? It's just a sort, it's a shortened word for Judah. That's where they started calling Judah. And Judah, the word Judah means praise, right? Remember the third child born to Jacob and Leah? She said, and, and she named him Judah because it would bring praise to God. So this became a post-exilic name. After the, the Jews went into exile and came back out of exile, the land that they occupied was no bigger than Judah itself, where Jerusalem was located. So they're called Jews, shortened for Judah. And so as you look at this, he's saying to them, you call yourself Jew, but it came to mean the word Jew over time came to mean something, a badge of honor that they would wear. We are chosen. We are elect. We are God's special people. And that got perverted into we are better people. Let me say something to you. Your standing before God is not based on your race. Amen. You're not a better people. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 9, John the Baptist is preaching. He said, do you suppose you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father? And this is what John says, for I say to you, from these stones, God's able to raise up children of Abraham. <laughs> In John chapter 8, verse number 39, the Jews were debating with Jesus. and They kept saying, we have Abraham as our father. Jesus said in John 8, 39, if you, have if you are Abraham's children, do the deeds of Abraham. Wow. It's not your race. You're not preferred over other people. God doesn't have a favoritism in that way. You're not more deserving. You know, we're, we, there must be something really good in us. We're more deserving of God's grace. Ah, you're not deserving. It's all a work of his grace. We're more pure than other people. Do you hear it? You're not purer than other people. To borrow a line from Merle Haggard, you're just a better class of losers. <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter number seven. Deuteronomy chapter number seven. In verse number seven, the Lord had his heart set on you and chose you, not because you were more numerous than all peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept an oath he swore to your ancestors, he brought you out with a strong hand and redeemed you from the place of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and know that the Lord your God is God the faithful God who keeps his gracious covenant, loyalty for a thousand generations to those who love him and keep his commandments. In Deuteronomy chapter number 9, verse 5, you're not better. Listen to what he says. You're not going to take possession of their land because of your righteousness or your integrity. 
Instead, the Lord will drive out these nations before you because of their wickedness in order to fulfill the promise he swore to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 26, verse 5, it says when you're to be presenting your offering and you bring that offering before the Lord, you're to say these words, my father was a wandering Aramean. That is a very weird statement. Some believe it's one of the greatest, oldest statements that Jews ever spoke. My father was a wandering Aramean. What does that mean? What is an Aramean? An Aramean is someone who comes from Aram, Aram, Syria. And he's, what he's saying is, our people were just a tribal people. Our people were nomadic, perishing people. We had no property, we had no home, and the only identity that we had whatsoever, this predates Abraham, goes back to Terah, beyond Terah. He says, we were just wandering, perishing nomads. And God chose and saved us. You were nothing, but God did a work in you. Amen? Amen. You were a lowly people, but loved by God and redeemed by God. Let me say something real quick. You are not superior because of your race. You're not superior because of your nationality. You're not superior because of your culture. And you're not superior because of your language. You're not superior because you're skinny. You're not superior because you're fat. You're not superior because you're old. You're not superior because you're young. You're not superior. You're not superior. Some of you believe arrogantly that God is really an old white guy sitting up in heaven on a cloud. And he's sitting on a throne and that he speaks English and he values capitalism and he votes Republican. And that's what you all think about him. And often it's insipid and it sneaks into us that we think we're better. We think we're better than Asian people. We think we're better than Mexican people. We think we're better than African people. We think we're better than Middle Eastern people. We think we're better than Slavic people. And you are not. God had one son and he surely didn't send him to America. But he sent him for the world in a fulfillment of his plan. And I want you to get this down right and get it down big. You are lost without Jesus Christ. Amen. We talk about American exceptionalism. I understand what we mean by that term. I understand about the liberties that we have. I understand the blessings that we encounter. But I want you to listen to me. There is no exceptionalism when it comes to spiritual status. Amen. God loves us. We're made in the image of God. Amen. We need to worship him with our life. Yes. Amen. Secondly, it's not based on religion. Now, in, notice it says in verse number 17, you call yourself a Jew. You rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve the things of the superior uh, that are superior because you're instructed by the law. So somehow, sometimes it gets perverted and we think that we're superior because of our religion and our religious status. And this, you remember the story in Luke's gospel, chapter 18. There was this Pharisee, Jesus tells the parable, and this Pharisee was in the place of worship and prayer and there was also a tax gatherer there. Do you remember the story? And he stood there in the temple praying to God, the Pharisee did. And he prayed something like this. I thank you that I'm not like other people. Swindlers, unjust, adulterers. Especially not like a tax gatherer. But the tax gatherer was standing at a distance. He was unwilling to even lift his head. And he beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Amen. And Jesus said, 
that man went down to his house justified rather than the other. The other unjustified, but thinking he was because of his religion. Listen, he says, you pridefully boast. Listen to what Paul, his argument here. He says, you rely on the law, you're dependent on the law, so we've been given the law, and so it was given to us as a gift of God's revelation, but since we've been given the law, now you boast in God. Now, here's what, here are some privileges and advantages that the Jews do have, and they do have some. Listen, first of all, in verse 17 and 18, he says, God has given us the law, and he did give them the law. Secondly, God entered into a special relationship with the children of Israel through Abraham and his descendants. And that's exactly true. He did. And God chose that he was going to send the Messiah through the lineage of David, through the tribe of Judah. And he did. And because we have his laws, then we can know his will. That's true. What an advantage. What a blessing that God gave us. And not only that, we're able to test and approve that which is superior. That's his argument here. That's true. Because you have the revealed word of God, you're able then to make moral decisions and should have a higher moral standard. That's true. And it gives you religious privileges in a broken world. And that is to be. What does he say? Verse 19 and 20. He says, you're a guide for the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the ignorant, a teacher to babes, to the immature. Having embodiment of the knowledge and the truth and the law. He says, you are a guide to the blind. You are a light to the dark and those in dark." The problem is, if the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness, Jesus said. Jesus said some of the Pharisees and religious leaders were blind guides. They were guides, but they were blind themselves. He said you're supposed to be the instructor for the foolish, those who are ignorant. And you're supposed to teach infants, catechize. Where do we get the word catechism from? To instruct, teach, to catechize babes, infants. These are all true. Yet it had morphed into something like we're a better class of people. We're better than you. We judge you. And this attitude gets in us too. This attitude, it's in judgmentalism. It's it's in churchy people. Religious right. I hate that term. You're part of the religious right. I think I'm a part of the religious wrong sometimes. Arrogance. You think you're better than other people. In Jeremiah chapter number 9, listen to what the prophet says. Jeremiah chapter number 9. In verse number 23, this is what the Lord says. The wise person should not boast in his wisdom. The strong should not boast in his strength. The wealthy should not boast in his wealth. But the one who boasts should boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, showing faithful love, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For I delight in these things. This is the Lord's declaration. Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Amen? Amen. You see, they were to be the light. They were to point others to the love of God in Jesus Christ. But we get the wrong attitude. Thank you, God, I'm not like them. Sinners, ignorant, stupid, blind, uneducated. They're in the darkness. Here's what we want to do, and listen, listen close. I know this is hard to hear, but I want you to listen. We sometimes want to preach at the darkness, but God has called us not to preach at the darkness, but let our light so shine before men that they may see by your what? Good works and glorify God who's in heaven.
Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. This is what we're to do. Amen. Number three, hypocritical living is our problem. Not only do we have the law, but we think we're to be an instructor. We're arrogant and proud about it. But notice we become hypocritical in our living. In verse number 21, notice, notice he says, Now Paul's taking them to the woodshed right here, folks. It's not pretty. Listen. You then who teach another, don't you teach yourself? You who preach, you must not steal. Do you steal? You who say you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor, detest idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? Well, he says, first of all, he asks these five relational questions. And he says, number one, do you teach yourself? You teach everybody else, do you teach yourself? Are you learning? Are you applying it in your life? Secondly, do you steal? Well, no, I'm against stealing. Oh, really? What are some ideas about stealing you have? What would constitute stealing? Well, I would say this. When you refuse to worship God within your life, you're stealing glory that's due his name. When you refuse to gather with God's people and worship him, you're stealing glory due his name. When you withhold your tithe and won't give it and spend it on yourself, you're stealing. Yes, Lord, amen. Will a man rob God? How have we robbed you? Tithes and tithes and offerings, he says. When you don't work. The Bible says if man won't work, don't let him eat. Amen. I'm worried about where we're headed in the country. Do you pad your expenses? Do you fudge on your taxes? Do you overcharge somebody? You steal when you don't pay your workers a living wage? You steal when you pollute the, pollute the environment, the good world that God's given us? You steal when you refuse to use your talents and time and treasure for the honor and the glory of God? Amen. Because you've placed something else before God. Do you commit adultery? No, I don't commit adultery. Really? Do you ever look at a woman with lust in your heart? You've committed adultery with her. Jesus said, Jesus said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out, cast it away from you. Because it'd be a lot better for you to go around without one member of your body than your whole body going to hell's fire. Jesus said, does your right hand offend you? If it does, cut it. if it causes you to stumble, cut, lop it off, cast it away from you. Why? Because it'd be a lot better for you to lose one member of your body than your whole body going to hell's fire. That's all in the context of adultery. When you watch stuff on TV, incites your lust, you know that's adultery. Or on your computer or on your phone. Do you abhor idols? You say, hi, we hate idol worship. Yeah, but do you profit off of temples? Do you desecrate? Do you do sacrilege? Do you dishonor God? How? By breaking the law. When you break the law and you live disobediently, you bring dishonor to God. And this is what he brings us to in his argument here. He says in verse 24, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Your life when it doesn't line up with what you say, dishonors the name of God in the world. I grew up in coal mining country back in the day before the Clean Air Act killed Illinois coal. And that's a scandal in itself. So a lot of miners and farmers in my background and some colorful characters. 
I pastored a church where almost everybody in this church was a minor or a retired minor. One of those old boys came often. He amened all the time. But his language in the minds was way different than his language at church. And on several witnessing experiences, out trying to talk to people about Jesus, they said, oh, doesn't know what's his name go to your church? I said, yeah. Yeah, well, if he's going up there, he said, I'm probably not coming. It's not working too good down the mines for him. I had a man who used to work for us. I had people call vendors and say, is this guy really work for you at your church? Yes. I can't believe it. A man like that supposed to be a minister because he treated vendors so harshly and hatefully. This man I knew one time, he was so angry, he was beat his children and said abusive things to him, started yelling at one of his kids outside of a restaurant because they wouldn't behave exactly the way he wanted and slapped them, shoved them in the back of the car and locked the car, told them to stay in there, went inside, sat down to eat. Another man came over to him and said, hey, I saw what happened out in the parking lot and Do you mind if I sit down and talk to you about Jesus Christ who changed my life, healed my anger? That person happened to work on our staff team. No longer works on our staff team. If your life is the only scripture some will ever read, what's it saying? I hear y'all saying, Pastor, can you move on to another point in this sermon? That's what Paul's argument is, isn't it? Do you love him? Do you love him first and only? Do you love him with all your heart? Do you love him with all of your being? Is he the number one priority of your life? Amen. Thirdly, it's not based on your religious rituals. I'm going to have to hurry. Notice in uh, chapter 2, he says, again, verse 25, now he moves to a different subject. They believed they were good, they were golden, right? They got the golden ticket because they had the law and because they're God's special people, and they had their religion. But I'm telling you, folks, your religion won't save you. Amen. Secondly, thirdly, whateverly it is. It's not based on your religious rituals. Verse 25, he brings in circumcision. Now, the word circumcised means to cut around. You can fill in the blanks if you want. It's a surgical procedure on males. And it is a seal and a sign given to Abraham and his descendants of their identity and their commitment to the Lord. But what happened was that the ritual began to replace the relationship. And people relied on the ritual, not the relationship. And just because I've received the ritual, then I don't have to worry about the relationship. Paul later in chapter 4 of Romans will argue that Abraham was Abraham made right with God while he was circumcised or uncircumcised. He believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness when? When he was still uncircumcised. But then he was circumcised after. That way Abraham became the father of those who were circumcised and uncircumcised, Paul's argument. But notice what Paul says here in verse 26. So if an uncircumcised man keeps the law's requirements, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? So it is, this is how it becomes invalid. Verse 25 and 6. 
He says, if you're a lawbreaker, verse 25, the end of the verse, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. I think I have a slide I'm going to show right now. And it's a, it's a formula. Uh, yeah. Great. Let's move to the next slide. There you go. Perfect. Circumcision minus obedience equals what? Uncircumcision. Next slide. Uncircumcision plus what? Equals what? Circumcision. What's the most important word in here? Obedience. It's putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ that proves itself in obedience to God. Bill was baptized today. Bill had received a sign earlier. It was a ritual, important, filled with meaning, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But Bill realized there was a problem. And the problem was in his heart. And now that's settled. And Bill said, let's do this right. Because it's not the ritual that saves me. It's a relationship with Jesus. Amen. And today, praise God, my dear brother said, he died for me. He was buried for me. And he rose again for me. And this is a new Bill. 2.0. Dead, buried, and raised to life. Hallelujah. So we don't rely on these rituals. God judges every man's heart. What's in your heart? Not your words, but your heart. Jesus told him a story. He said, a man had two sons. And he said to what, the first son, he said, I want you to go out and work in my vineyard. And he said, no, I am not going out and work in your vineyard. Later, he repented and regretted what he said. And he went to work in his father's vineyard. The second son, he went to him and says, son, I want you to go and work in my vineyard. He said, yes, sir, father. Yes, sir. I will. But he didn't go. Jesus questioned, which one was obedient? And they answered the first one. And Jesus said, harlots and prostitutes and tax gatherers will get into the kingdom before you. Because you said yes with your lips, but your heart was far from me. God wants your life. Amen? Amen. Amen. In Romans, he's reminding us it's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's built on a personal relationship with him. And that's the last point of the message. In verse number 28 and 29, for a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, but true circumcision is is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person who's a Jew is one inwardly. That's a true Jew. And circumcision that's in the heart, that's done by the scalpel of the Holy Spirit in your life. And that person's praise is not from people, but from God. How do I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Well, I'm glad you asked. Number one, you need to be honest about the sin in your own life. Amen. It's not my brother or my sister, but it's me, oh Lord, Amen. standing in the need of prayer. We need, I need you. Secondly, turn from your sin. 
and trust in Jesus Christ. The Bible says Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was buried and rose again the third day according to the scripture. And if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is my Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Whoever, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Wow. Thirdly, experience God's work in your life. The born again work of the Holy Spirit in you. You must be born again. The word born again really means born from above. God working in you. God's grace in you. God taking the scalpel and working on your old heart and making it new again. That's what God's doing in you. Amen. My time is done. John Newton was, lived a hard life. He lived in 1700s in England. His mom died. She was, a Christian, she was a good, godly Christian woman. She read the Bible to him as a little boy, but at seven years old, his mom got tuberculosis and died. At 11 years old, he dropped out of school and quit, and he went with his dad. His dad was in the merchant navy. He went on voyages all over the place with his dad and sailors and cussed like a sailor, lived like a sailor. Was forced to join the Royal Navy in 1744, was dishonorably discharged in 1747 because of his rebellion and insurrection. He was banished to slave trade Navy as a rebel. And in 1747, he was on a ship filled with slaves, trafficking people. And he called out to God and was saved. He was discipled and influenced greatly by William Cowper, other hymn writers. Theologically, he was influenced by Whitfield and the Wesleys. He became such a strict abolitionist fighting against the slave trade. It was abhorrent to him. He became a, an English pastor at an old age of 39 years old, which is old, to become a new career as a pastor. One of the great hymns I think that's ever been written in the last 400 years is these words. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. T'is grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. The Lord has promised good to me. His words my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Yea, when this flesh and heart shall fail and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. And when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Can somebody say praise the Lord? Newton has lived to be an old, old man and his memory was fading. And he stood up in one of the last addresses ever at a church. In his late 80s, he simply said this, My memory is gone. 
almost completely. But I remember two things. I'm a great sinner. And Jesus is a great Savior. Amen. Hallelujah. That's the Savior that we have. Amen. <laughs> Father in heaven, as we come to you this day, we come trusting you. We come reliant upon you. Not in our race, not in our religion, not in our rituals, but a living, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So, Father, today, we turn to you. We trust in you. We surrender to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Today, if you're trusting Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you to come. Our ushers will help you. You just make your way down the aisle. Take the bread and the juice. If you'll go back to your seat, then I'll lead us in taking the elements together in just a moment. If you prefer prepackaged, uh, those are available today too, uh, or traditional, either way. And so if you take the prepackaged, the bread and juice are all together in one cellophane package. But you come, come now, back to your chair. You don't feel, this is for those who are walking with the Lord. And so if that's not you, then don't, don't participate. But if you are, come. You're welcome at this table with us.
Paul wrote in Corinthians, I received from the Lord that what I passed on to you. The night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way he took the cup also after supper and said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Father in heaven, we thank you for this cup and we thank you for this bread. Representing the body, the broken, bruised, and abused body, the incarnation, the living a life in human flesh, and how you gave your life for us. And your life's blood spilled for us, the just one for unjust ones, the righteous one for unrighteous ones, the sinless one for sinful ones. Thank you, God, for sending your Son. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for us. Now may we live for you. We take you. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.